Eco-warriors is the headline. Surge in climate-inspired children's anxiety. Psychologists are treating a wave of children as young as 10 who are paralysed by climate change fear-mongering. By the end of this century, if emissions keep rising, the average temperature on Earth could go up another 4 to 8 degrees. What I'm saying is the planet's on fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? So Obama's talking about all of this with the global warming and that, and a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. I mean, it's a money-making industry, okay? It's a hoax. Hello, everyone. You've just heard three clips which cover the three aspects of today's interview with guest Christy Johnson. Christy is a therapist specialising in climate-related anxiety, and that's what I'm initially going to be asking her about, relating some of my own struggles with the future of life on planet Earth along the way. Christy has also done work in environmental anthropology in Alaska, and is herself deeply concerned about climate change. Now, it may surprise some of you to learn that I'm not, and whilst I don't consider my position to be an extreme one, it certainly raised eyebrows, dropped jaws, and earned me the label of denier in the past. So Christy and I are gonna to attempt to have a conversation where we explore how we arrived at our contrasting opinions. The aim is to understand rather than argue, and to see if there's some common ground to be found in there somewhere. We're doing this as an antidote to what is often such a hostile and unproductive area. Prior to all that, I start off by asking Christy to explain how she ended up doing this type of therapeutic work. So actually what's really interesting is uh, <laughs> I was actually never that interested in your standard office therapy work through, you know, psychological issues and help people return to functioning in society, uh, sort of typical therapy thing. It was actually climate change. That was the reason why I decided to go into this work um, as a therapist. I um, basically just kind of really hit a question that was sparked by climate change, but wasn't just about climate change. It was really kind of looking at a lot of um, things that we were doing in the modern world as far as what we were doing to our environment, but also had done historically and currently are doing to indigenous people and people of color. Um, and you know, it just really struck me as insane. I, I just was like, why, why would we destroy our own environment? You know, and why would we um, so aggressively go after um, some of these groups of people? And, and so, so many times, you know, in so many different ways over the course of history. Uh, and, Ameri you know, being an American, that's just a very prevalent part of our country's history. Um, so, yeah, so I, I just asked that question and I, I was doing research up in Alaska um, you know, looking at climate impacts on subsistence use, uh, so hunting, fishing, resource gathering, uh, and spending time talking to Alaska natives and people that had lived up there for a long time and, you know, what they were noticing uh, in terms of climate impacts. But really, actually, what ended up happening for me was realizing, like, this goes much deeper. There's something much deeper underlying, um, you know, what drives climate change, but maybe also, you know, what drives many patterns, collective patterns of human behavior, you know, politically, socially, uh, environmentally. Um, so, uh, and I also realized I didn't want to be in academia. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that really was a big part of why I decided to be a therapist because I wanted to understand what sort of the roots were. Okay. So you're, you're looking out and seeing the, there's a behavior that could be described as not entirely sane going on in the world, manifesting in all different ways. And it's not as simple as coming up with a techno solution, something of a psychological yeah. element inherent in, in human beings going on. And does that meet in some ways some personal struggles within yourself? I'm just imagining that you would have to have something in, in yourself that you could be able to recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and really this stems from you know, obviously I didn't just sort of jump right into this topic out of nowhere. Um, you know, when I was really young, uh, I remember learning about how we were destroying the rainforest. I was maybe like seven or eight and just, um, 
and and in, you know up until that point and from there on after I had had a very deep uh, really a spiritual but very emotional relationship with the natural world where it was a, a resource for me um, when I you know grew up in a community that didn't feel supportive of who I was you know just as a person um, didn't recognize that or appreciate that and um, and so yeah it was an emotional resource for me so you know learning about something you know at seven or eight don't really understand but you know the destruction of the rainforest it was like well why would we do that you know that's like you know taking apart the Taj Mahal for the bricks or something. I mean, why would you do that? It's obviously so incredible and beautiful, um, you know, as it is. And to use it for the parts seems silly. You know. Again, you know, at seven or eight years old, I had quite simple thoughts about it, but it was very emotionally impactful. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so then that, you know, continued where nature has always been and elements of nature have always been a resource for me emotionally. Um, and a container for me to go deeper into working through my own traumas and and pain and conditioning. Okay. So, yeah. Does that answer that? Does that? I think it absolutely answers it. Yep. I yeah. So. Yeah. So I'll come to the. I suppose the the major reason I got in touch with you. We 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 were put in touch by a, a mutual contact, um, Fiona Robertson, who I've done various interviews uh, with, and I actually I asked Fiona would she want to do something on climate? And she said, no, but this, like, got the perfect person, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the reason I was looking for this was that recently, I suppose, there's been a spike in um, news stories about climate, particularly with uh, Greta Thunberg's presence on the scene. It's just been a lot there. And a lot of stuff that I found, like, disturbing around um, the anxiety provoked and what people are doing um, because of that anxiety, particularly like, I think probably mostly women, but some men like not having children. Okay. And you're, we're getting articles in the media of people going through why they, they won't have children now and you know, women in their, and men and in their like twenties and thirties. And, um, one thing that has to be acknowledged is that we probably sit on opposite sides of the fence on this issue of is climate really a threat or not? And we're going to shelve that for the initial part. Okay and come back to it but from my perspective of thinking oh you're blowing this out of proportion and you know you're going to hit 50 60 years old um the climate is not going to be substantially different and you know you're going to really regret like making these big life-changing decisions um so that that and also it had a, a resonance of me because um not with climate but with other issues uh let's say my late teens early 20s um i started to believe we're going to bring the world to an effective end um, peak oil was a big one for me and then later had to learn I was completely wrong and that cast like I wouldn't say it was massively detrimental but cast like a, a bit of a 10-year dark shadow over me carrying around thinking oh well by 2020 it's you know civilization will have collapsed then it didn't mm -hmm. so when I saw your work about um, engaging with people who are having climate anxiety um, and how you know how, how do we how does a person hold that and also live and function in the world so that that's that's like a starting point maybe 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 you want to say something about your own engagement of anxiety and how that um plays into working with people the people you meet in that absolutely and that was a big reason so you know me going through a lot of my own grief and anxiety and terror and rage all these different emotions around yeah what i perceive to be similar to what you said like you know the world's going to end in my lifetime in some really big catastrophic way um, was one of the big reasons I decided to actually start explicitly offering space for people to come and explore these feelings. Um, because, yeah, it, it does, it gets really tricky um, in that we don't know what's going to happen. We really don't. Um, and so, right, we could debate whether, you know, uh, any of these models are going to play out the way uh, scientists say they will, uh, or, or, you know, if they will, things that are happening environmentally will play out according to the models. Um, but in a way, we still, you know, and I think any good scientist would acknowledge, you know, that we really don't know what's going to happen. There's so many feedback loops. This could go into many different ways, um, including nothing at all, right? Um, I, I totally uh, am willing to acknowledge that. And 
I think we do really get caught in these strong emotions. And a lot of that actually has to do with the way our culture um, really doesn't give us any emotional education in general. Uh, and so we tend to go to these extremes where we're either you know, suppressing strong emotions um, or, and they're, they're largely unconscious, still impacting our behavior, or we swing to you know, really strong, um, you know, we're still sort of unconscious in those moments, but strong expressions of emotions that are very impulsive and can be really damaging, um, maybe towards, towards ourselves, making decisions that are extreme, um, but could be damaging towards other people. You know? um, and so a lot of this I see as you know, an opportunity for us to develop a connection with those emotions to get curious about them, mm -hmm. um, to get curious about the stories we're telling ourselves, um, you know, the images, that's a, a big part of this, right? It's very strong imagery for a lot of people around the future that we might be inheriting or our children are inheriting. Um, and the way that if we don't develop a conscious relationship with that, it really can drive us to do very extreme things when it's not warranted. Or, or even, even if that, let's say that were to play out, maybe that behavior still isn't even helpful. In, in that regard. So really, you know, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, this um, developing this relationship with these emotions before we just impulsively act on them uh, is such a key part of this. Um, you know, and that's true for anything that we work with, whether you're dealing with, you know, issues with your mother-in-law or issues with climate change, sure, you know? Sure. So, well, yeah. There's a couple of things I wanted to run by you based on my observations of this in myself of that period and went through something similar so um one thing that struck me afterwards and i found quite embarrassing really but probably quite embarrassed saying now is how little it took to convince me so how easy it was for me to buy into a whole worldview right um and for some good reasons like um the the guy that sold it to me effectively was uh, an academic who did very good work in other areas and um which i would i would contend that that is the case to this day, but just made a mistake on his um, estimations around the oil industry. And, and even if you think peak oil is going to occur in the future, just for the, the listener, right, um, by the, the models I was looking at, this is it, 2020 is like civilization class. So I, I definitely know I'm wrong. <laughs> I was wrong at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and in, that went on for a few years and it's somewhere in my mind. And it was at a point where I was um, learning to grow my own vegetables um, so I could, you know, prepare myself for the coming collapse, right? That I started to question, gee, it's, it's kind of strange. Like, I wonder why your know, humanity is collectively manifest. Because I'm in this kind of thinking too, right? This, this kind of like, um, this dire future, right? And then I started thinking, I really, and being honest, I've never really checked this out too much, right? And it's, it's nice to grow vegetables, but maybe this sort of energetic place I'm coming from is not the best one, you know, in terms of like, so I'm not doing this because I like the food so much. I like that too, but it's more of a survival thing. And um, what I found going into it was not, I, what sort of helped me was not coming to an absolute conclusion. Okay, yeah, phew, all supplies are definitely guaranteed for the next hundred years, so I can be certain of that. What, what, what got me into it is, wow, I really don't know. Actually, this is like way more complex than I thought. And people I heard being derided on this subject and saying, oh, the economists have got it all wrong. They've actually got really clever things to say, and and the oil industry. I'm like, so you know, I just I'm not sure, but it's the, the picture isn't as bleak as I thought, and I lost my sense of certainty around it. Okay, and what I see in um, with people who have a lot of anxiety about climate is kind of a similar thing that they've not really read a lot of the science or gotten into the complexity if they've been given a certain model, and there's we in all sorts of ways um, tend towards a kind of certainty addiction, like we want solid positions to stand on so we can do something effective. And what, what do you, how do you encounter that? Like the, uh, yes, I talked to my clients about this actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, certainty uh, if that our relationship with that is just fascinating to me because we love that. Right. It's actually part of the reason why I would say the climate, you know, having spent time around climate scientists and um, you know, some people who were actually quite on, on the scene very early on when this started to come out in the eighties, mm -hmm. um, you know, the way that it ends up getting translated into the media, it's like so much of the nuance and the uncertainty gets fully totally lost and largely because, well, media doesn't do well with, you know, well, we don't know and, you know, media uh, does well 
um, based on ratings and responses, right? And certainty, it hooks into that, right? So once things start getting prevent, uh, presented in a, a definitive way, um, that hooks into people's unconscious emotions, right? Our limbic systems. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, gets us to react and respond in different ways. Politics also feeds off that. Hmm. Um, so absolutely, there is this wanting, this certainty. And what I find fascinating about climate change, especially is it is, it's so complex. And the deeper I personally have gone into exploring my feelings around it and stories around it, the more absolutely I've kind of moved almost in a similar direction to where you have, not where I felt like, oh, it's not a thing at all, but that, okay, it's, uh, things are very uncertain with this. Um, it is, I mean, we're talking about the biosphere. I mean, the number of feedback loops involved is just countless, you know? We certainly cannot stake a claim on some outcome here. Um, and yet we really, I would argue that's maybe even a, a part, it's hard for me to say is that, you know, a cultural thing for us, uh, you know, Western culture, or is mm. it a human thing for us? But certainty gives, definitely gives our nervous systems uh, a way of sort of settling a little bit. Um, we just don't do well with uncertainty. Um, and I think that's what's so great about this topic is it really forces us, if we're being honest about it, it forces yeah. us into that yeah. place. Because so. I think there's something about the combative nature of taking different sides in an issue and one that feels like it's existential it's an ex it's a crisis right that can wipe out humanity that breeds uncertainty and that if we were to engage in this discussion in quite an unconscious way i might think well i i need more facts than christy right to like in case she attacks me okay and because i don't really know, i feel insecure about this because i don't really understand climate science so I'm going to take a, a slightly harder position. And then if you mirrored that, we can come into this center place of uncertainty, but then we can both start to step away and away and away back into our trenches from that. And that, that seems to be where you get um, these like terms like well, deniers being thrown from one trench to the other. And uh, there's a derogatory term for um, alarmists. That's the one it gets thrown back. Right. And, and it is coming from this like unconscious, let's defend our position uh, place, which seems to it just plays right into the certainty. And, yes. and is seen as virtuous as well, because, you know, whichever way you look at it, you're involved in a, on the side of an army that's saving the world from either the deniers or the alarmists. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that polarity. And so what's really interesting, too, is I, I do a lot of work with um, clients uh, around trauma. And one of uh, the symptoms of trauma is this black or white thinking, this kind of all or nothing sort of extremist perception of reality, right? And so what's interesting is if you kind of look at ourselves uh, collectively, we're really emulating that when we do that, when we take this black or white instead of like, hey, I mean, maybe it's possible and maybe we don't really know how it's going to play out and maybe it could be really bad, but also maybe it could not be. And to stay in that place is actually a symptom of, to stay in that place of uncertainty is a symptom of us being much more grounded and actually much more connected to reality than not. Um, because reality is nuanced, right? Reality is uncertain very often. Um, so I, I think it's, yeah, it's absolutely really fascinating um, when people start, yeah, really, um, yeah, lobbing those bricks yeah. and making very strong assertions um, about, especially something like the future, which is just kind of mm. like, mm. I mean, I'm sorry, but just nobody knows what that's going to be like. Well, you know? we'll talk, talk about brick lobbying more in a moment. Um, but an, another aspect of something I noticed in myself in coming out of this was it seemed like it was a little bit all too easy for me to buy into a disaster narrative right and i wondered if it wasn't just the way the idea was intellectually sold but that just hit a chord with something in me and i don't know if i've ever really put my finger on what that is um that makes me and people look out the windows and think oh this is all going to break down i mean maybe it's just it's like every time i drive on the motorway i think this this can't possibly work. Like, it's, I think it's got a freeway in the States, right? It's just, this is, everything's, everyone's going to crash, surely. And maybe we just can't comprehend the level of order existing in the world. But what I noticed in 
the years um, after this was I would sit with so many people who had so many different stories of how the world is going to end in our lifetimes, right? Some of them mutually contradictory, okay? So climate change and big oil, okay? But you also have some kind of conspiracy takeover and a fascist state emerging, global fascist state across the world, or kind of an economic crash, which will return us all to deeply impoverished times. Um, some people, and I'm talking like serious academic historians, spend their lives investigating the takeover of the world through an alien hybrid breeding program, you know, and produce volumes of books on this. And I also have um, friends who will tell me how the book of Revelation is going to play out in their lifetime. Jesus is going to come back and some Jewish guy is going to blow a trumpet and then it's going to be a thousand years of this with utter certainty and an utter conviction. I sit there listening, going, gee, I'm, I'm almost convinced this is true because I'm not even that certain that, you know, I'm holding three fingers up as you are about the future right now, <laughs> you know? Um, and it, it seemed to me that there's something inherent within us that can tend towards that future projection, uh, a disastrous projection. And I've had to watch it in myself since. I don't just peg that on something else now. It's okay, I was wrong about peak oil, but yeah, the Illuminati, gosh, what are they up to? Do, do you have any observations about that or notice that in human beings? Yeah. Oh yeah, that is, that's really interesting. And that's an argument that, you know, you, you hear occasionally. It's like, oh, human beings have been saying, um, you know, the world's going to end for a thousand years or yeah, two well, thousand years. I mean, but sometimes something. it does, right? Because like you get the Black Death come along and that's half of the yeah. world gone. So or World War One or something, you know, so mm -hmm. it's, I don't really think it's an, an argument against any of those things individually. Um, you know, but it does suggest that there are other reasons why these ideas can arise. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, it is, it is, it's really fascinating the way we can kind of go in that direction. So again, I kind of actually want to go back to trauma and I think what happens, so, it, and yeah, I sort of have to back up and maybe lay a little foundation here. Um, the work that I ended up doing it that you know what I said earlier about you know I wanted to understand the roots of um, you know the climate crisis basically um, I want to understand the roots of some of the, the collective behavior I saw in the West uh, especially and um, one of the answers I got was trauma was basically you know our nervous systems getting overwhelmed uh, not just individually but uh, you know, over many, many generations, there's research on um, you know, the epigenetic mm -hmm. transference of trauma and all of that, and the way that kind of builds up in our systems. Um, and we end up with a lot of people who are really basically dissociated um, and then also tend to have extreme reactions and display these other symptoms of being highly traumatized. But the problem is that it's you know, virtually almost everybody. And so we have a whole culture sort of based on that, that, that has normalized that. And uh, like I said earlier, media and politics can even play off of some of those, um, you know, factors, those expressions of that trauma. Um, so I think one of the things that can happen is this sort of doomsday uh, perspective and the, this expectation uh, is actually another symptom of that, is that, you know, um, and you can see that happen uh, individually. I see that happen individually with clients all the time in their personal lives of, you know, one thing goes wrong and it's like the world is going to end, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to, you know, my partner's going to leave me. I'm going to, you know, lose my house. I'm going to, um, you know, uh, if my, if I let my kid play out in the front yard, they're going to get kidnapped. I experienced that a lot growing up. Yeah. <laughs> um, things like that, you know, it's just these really sort of extreme perceptions of, you know, um, the world is going to uh, end, you know, with these minor things. So I think there's some of that going on. Um, the other piece too is, you know, I think there are many indigenous cultures that have, uh, you know, accused our modern culture of being unsustainable for some time. So I think there is some awareness of, you know, yeah, maybe some of what we're doing here really isn't sustainable. Maybe there's some awareness in there. So I think there can be some truth of kind of things are changing, even if you just look at the technology front of things, things are changing rapidly, you know, and this sense of that change maybe being overwhelming and mm. scary. Yeah. So there's some of that that could be based in a real kind of connection to reality. But I think a lot of this sort of, um, yeah, that, that uh, doomer mentality and the, um, 
yeah, the alarmist sort of like on all these different fronts, all these different ways that the world could end is also an expression of collective trauma. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So yeah. to talk then about um, like our relative positions, it's, it strikes me in some ways, like a lot of it is branding, right? Just listening to you talk, because you, you come from this perspective of um, being very concerned about climate. And inside that concern is the acknowledgement, well, it might actually be very minor, right? Um, and I come from a perspective of like not being so concerned, but inside that is like, well, yeah, potentially it could be disastrous. Okay, so this is like quite a lot of overlap, right? And I, and I do find this is something that gets lost um, with the polarization um, in the debate, right? The people people who are saying things that are in the IPCC report can be referred to as, as deniers. And I suppose it's, there's examples going the other way. So yeah, I thought it might be interesting. I'd appreciate you if we both say like, um, shared something of why we've arrived at the position with that. And, and you, I suppose, started that by talking about like, um, being young and seeing the rainforest, um, being destroyed. So, um, maybe you could just, talk about a bit more technically as to how you came to have the concern specifically for like climate change. Were there, were there times that you were won over and thought like, okay, this is very compelling evidence is a problem here. Were there times where you thought, okay, actually I'm really not so sure about that. I and mean, just a sort of very brief summary of that kind of journey. I'll mirror that. Then. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I have, I've, uh, in that journey, I've moved in all sorts of different directions around it. Um, so I did, I went through a period in my like early mid twenties where I did a lot of reading around climate. That was, some of it was quite scary. Absolutely. And it did, it, it won me over. And I think it, part of what won me over too was, uh, that, um, there had already been a foundation for a long time for me of like, yeah, it seems like what we're doing to our environment seems pretty unsustainable, you know, um, and that that had never really, uh, I had never been convinced really otherwise. Um, and then, you know, climate change, learning about that. Um, I remember actually, I learned about, you know, the greenhouse effect in high school. So it wasn't even like, I had never heard of it before. There had already been sort of some awareness around it. You know, it just hadn't, yeah, hadn't been talked about very much. Um, and so, I was reading uh, about it and yeah, it did, it was some really scary, but yeah, compelling arguments. Um, I think some of it did tap into, yeah, some of my own traumas, absolutely. Uh, and, and then as time went on, right, I did research up in Alaska. And Alaska is, you know, the, something that they did, that scientists have predicted is that the poles would experience um, more extreme change before, um, you know, closer to the equator. Uh, so, you know, I was up in Alaska, I witnessed things that were like, yeah, I mean, it's raining in interior Alaska in January and February, seeing that happening, you know, multiple times. Uh, speaking with uh, indigenous people, you know, who have uh, just become very synced with uh, seasonal cycles, just for the sake of survival, things like that, talking to them. Um, so that, that, you know, certainly convinced me of a lot. Um, and then what's really interesting is that, you know, I went into, I then shifted to the sort of psychological aspect of this. And um, then I started to do my own work around trauma, just clearing my own trauma and doing somatic work um, and really developing a conscious relationship with my own thoughts and getting curious um, about the stories I was telling myself. A lot of it on a personal level, but then also starting to go into this collective sort of these, these bigger issues. And um, what's really interesting is I started to see, I wouldn't say that, that my fears about climate change went away so much as I also started to see that actually there were really incredible things happening in the world um, and that I couldn't know how, you know, maybe some of these, what I saw as, you know, devastating environmental trends would, uh, and, and political and, and social trends would interact with some of these really, I thought, incredible things that were happening, um, you know, with human beings, uh, socially, politically, um, 
And so then it was sort of like, oh, this actually is, I think this is complicated. You know, I don't know how this is going to play out. Maybe it really won't. I still sense that things will change in many different ways, uh, you know, um, but I don't know exactly how that will be. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it will be dramatic or not. I don't know if it will be very catastrophic or not. Um, and that can sometimes change daily for me where it's kind of like, yeah, sometimes it's uh, I have moments where it's like, oh my God, this is going to be really bad. And then other times where it's like, <laughs> yeah, it won't, maybe it won't be. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? And, and I think I just have this relationship with that now where it's kind of like, yeah, that's just sort of a natural ebb and flow that again, you can have around your marriage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it doesn't feel like a thing that I cling to as the sort of I've concluded, you know? So um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that kind of gets to some of the technical Things, yeah, I think perfectly sufficiently. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't asking for opinions on the temperature record. Yeah, okay, good. We're gonna follow up on that. Um, yeah. you know, like listening to what you've said, I did preparing for this caused me to like reflect, I suppose, on okay, well, how did I arrive in the position I arrived in? And with what you're saying about being seven years old and seeing the, the rainforest, um, there, my very early childhood memories. Or well, firstly, of having like a nice um, environment which was safe and um, was warm, and there was plenty of food in the cupboard, right? So the only time I experienced bad stuff was on the nightly news. So you come to an age when you're aware that like the rest of the world isn't like this. And I was watching some kind of warfare on TV, and you know, I was just thinking what that, what on earth that was actually. And I guess it was probably Iran Iraq War in the 80s would have been on the news, right? And that strikes me then as like completely insane, even like being four or five years old. It's like, well, everyone around here is having a nice time and we all get on and then there are people killing each other, right? And, and what can that possibly be about? And that, that coincided with um, the Ethiopian salmon, I think was like a big impact on, um, you know, everyone, everyone I talked to was like really close to my age. That was something they recall on TV and finding shocking because there's always food in my cupboard, right? But there's this whole mm -hmm. area of the world um, and there just seems to be like I'm looking outside and it's all like green fields, right? And it seems to be like um, you know, there's uh, there's something really wrong in the manner. Even as a four-year-old, you can just look at the world and go, right, this this isn't like inherent, right? It can't be that we have all this great stuff and they're like screwed and that's just the way it is. Um, and then the the cutting down of the rainforest, I think, came just ever so slightly later for me. I think I remember it being around about 1990, hearing about that kind of thing. I'd be about eight years old, um, and it, again, like probably have similar thoughts to yourself on it. It was not as eloquently put about the bricks and Taj Mahal. Um, that was very nice, but, but I think out of the three of them, like the violence struck me as the most insane, right? Because like there are problems we could solve, but killing each other is just, that, that's, that seems like the most self-inflicted problem, okay? Like, um, you know, you're not even trying at that point. Um, and then turning like 18, I think I had a completely conventional worldview to then, right? And then it all started to break apart for me. And I've said before that um, President George W. Bush being elected was kind of a, a thing because um, it just didn't make any sense to me that out of a country of 300 million people, they would randomly choose the son of the guy that did it before. It's like, oh, there's some kind of power structure that keeps the same people coming back. That's kind of strange. Um, and then seeing that it's not, it well, it not just that he was a political genius, that, you know, that um, let, let's just say he wasn't America's best and brightest. Uh, so there was that, just a general loss in authority. And then um, when I left school, right when the 9-11 attacks happened, okay, and I became interested in um, terrorism and how the state used terrorism to guide the population, okay? It's like, well, because 19 people, mostly from Saudi Arabia, attacked us, we now need a war in Iraq, okay? And I, yeah, definitely, nothing to do with oil, absolutely not. Um, and, and this kind of thing. And that led me to, I suppose, a spectrum of media um, from the um, sort of anti-war to the quite conspiratorial, okay? And the further you go down that spectrum, um, I wasn't particularly reading them, but there's all these articles down the side of the page which are also about, yeah, and another scam, as well, a terrorism scam, and another kind of a scam is this whole climate change thing, okay? So that was kind of like, and I have to just acknowledge that that's the place I'm coming from, because if we don't, um, we all, I think, have semi-conscious biases, but if we don't acknowledge them, then... You know, so it put me like, um, not sort of ardently, but somewhat on a team, you know, 
like, and, and I think these guys are doing really good writing on this subject. So probably there's something. So I think I started out with my most polarized then of being, ah, oh, that's a, you know, kind of nonsense. Mm. Um, and then I suppose um, researching it through engagement, out uh, of desire to engage with people, brought me more into the uh, complexity of it to a place where it's like, well, yeah, I don't know it. There could be like this swing to four and a half degrees of warming and that would be really bad, or it could be very minor. Um, uh, in that, I think like, and again, this preparing for this made me think about this of like areas of like what often strikes me in when I'm involved, perhaps on the periphery of some polarized discussion on this, is there can be a lot of common ground between um, people on both sides, potentially, right? So, a major concern in that conspiratorial camp, um, which I really do share, is the way environmental movements can be co opted, okay, to um, for corporate oligarchical purposes like uh, people talk a lot about the wwf being co-opted to get native people off the land because then it gets a kind of greenwashing it's a green cover to booting people off land they've lived on for thousands of years to set up a nature reserve with a bit of an oil refinery on the side you know and um i can see this with climate too when you've got goldman sachs wanting to set up the the climate uh, carbon exchange not because they're concerned about the future of the planet i would suggest right mm -hmm. so there's like even if we all agreed right, that, um, that climate change is really very dangerous, we would still have to have a discussion on, okay, well, how do we proceed with this in a way that doesn't hold, like, hand massive amounts of power to an elite group, right, who, yes. who can then potentially control all the energy in the world and tell us when we can and can't turn our kettles on. I mean, would, would you agree with that broadly? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, to me, I think what's, uh, yeah, I, I love this topic because I, I absolutely agree with it. I, the more, again, the more that I've worked through my own feelings with this, and of course I still have feelings come all the time around it, but around climate change, but um, the more I've worked through it, the more I actually think those are really good points. And it is actually really, it is problematic that uh, the climate movement is just dismissing people as, right, you know, uh, conspiracy theorists or whatever, you know, whatever kind of right. Um, instead of being like, actually, that's a really good point. And we should be concerned about that, uh, maybe even at least as concerned as we are about climate change. Um, and it does, it, it really, what I like about it is it does, it forces us to then look at what is our relationship with our power structures. And especially again, you know, in the US, um, such a great point you made, how do we just elect the son of the guy that, <laughs> you know? I mean, it really, again, points to this sort of collective, we've been traumatized and our perception is skewed and, and problematic and easily manipulated, absolutely. Um, and again, this actually is a big reason why I have offered what I'm offering is because I actually think the more that we develop an awareness of how our nervous systems work um, you know, in real time, we are less likely to be manipulated. We are actually less, we, are, we will be able to discern um, reality from you know, someone uh, hooking into our limbic systems, into our emotions, and then because we have no idea what's going on, because we're terrified, we don't know what to do with that, we're just going with the first solution that that guy offers that helps us then settle that terror, right? Instead of having a conscious relationship with that terror, having worked through any traumas that are also playing a part in that, and then being able to say, actually, I'm not sure if that's a good idea. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so I actually think, to me, our fears uh, and grief and all of these emotions around climate can then be a portal for uh, individual and collective empowerment and awareness that then would reduce the chances of that happening. And then, right, being able to discern to what extent do we need to deal with environmental crises, uh, which ones, you know, because there are many, um, you know, and how should we deal with that as opposed to let's just give all our power away to governments that have continually done awful things, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Does that make sense? Perfectly so, um, yeah. Yeah, so. I'm tempted to move on to a kind of final question. I, I could probably, I mean, we could probably both, we could discuss similar things, you know, not just in the political, but in the, the economic implications of like uh, climate and how that's not straightforward at all because you could end, you know, if you push the price of energy up, that has an obvious consequence of like food prices and things. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yes. just to, yeah, briefly state that, I'm sure we could find similar agreement there. Well, you know, again, even if you knew it's happening 
from an economic perspective, it's not obvious what to do. Yes. And then the other one, I suppose, would be um, the complexity of, of the site. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll just ask you about this, actually. Um, yeah. what, what my observation of um, people who are, are like very concerned about climate change, and I'm just going to acknowledge my bias that I'm more critical of them than I am of the group that I grew up in, right? So just I'm going to ask you and the audience to forgive me for that, because um, similar comments could probably be made in the opposite direction. But my critical observation is when I see people interviewed at protests and, and all the rest, um, there's often like a deference to the authority of perceived science, okay? And there's a sense of like, well, there's a 97% of scientists believe it, so I don't need to question it. And that statistic was in The Guardian, so I don't need to question the statistic, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, gosh, this is like a real replacement for our like deference to, to the priesthood, right? When like the, mm -hmm. the Bible was just in Latin because the common person was too vulgar to read it, you know? So, um, and, and that's really, um, it, it's almost like that, that questioning the science or even talking about the science, um, there's a sense of that's not your role. Your, your role is to wave a placard around. And um, I find this uh, kind of disheartening attitude. Of this, I mean, uh, do you think I've, I'm right there at all? Feel free to say something about the opposite camp. Maybe they're doing something just as bad and I'm blind to it. But I really love it. Yeah, I really love that you just yeah that you just asked that. <laughs> like you know what what I yeah I I think it's such a good point. Absolutely, I actually think you know that it's just the, similar to the point I just made about you know just blindly giving away our power, blindly giving just just deferring to authority, and that is very comfortable um, comfortable place for many of us. Um, and at risk of triggering a lot of people who may listen to this, uh, it's immature. Um, you know, I can just say, you know, I trust science um, to some extent because I spent time in the field, but also uh, I absolutely saw the, um, the the flaws in it, not because anybody was, you know, manipulating it or, you know, there was some conspiracy or anything. It's just people being people, you know, they were just being imperfect. They had unconscious biases, um, even, you know, even though so many scientists I know are so, work so hard to eliminate those, again, when we're not conscious of our own nervous systems, then that stuff just gets in there. Hmm. It's just called being human, right? So, um, I, I and again, I actually think this is the fault of the sciences. There was a program, uh, you know, so I, I was part of a department and in, in various programs um, up at the University of Fairbanks up in Alaska, um, University of Alaska Fairbanks in Alaska, and and they had a program um, for people who were doing research, uh, you know, doing their master's, PhDs, and uh, they had to be able to just to uh, distill their research so you could communicate it to elementary school kids, <laughs> basically. And one of the reasons they did this is because these scientists were so specialized and so notoriously um, full of jargon that nobody ever understood what they were talking about and didn't understand the scientific process. And that that is a fault of um, you know, we can blame media and politicians to some extent for preying on that, but scientists need to learn to be able to communicate <laughs> a little bit better than what they're doing and how this works, you know, they need to be able to actually translate this stuff. So, uh, you know, I think um, there is a, a good argument for, yeah, being able to, or just encouraging, um, you know, the public to understand what it is they're supporting, what it is they're getting behind. Um, and yeah, absolutely questioning that, being critical about it. Um, again, just so that we aren't just blindly giving our power away. Sure, sure. Anyone who feels confident. You know? Okay, um, the, the final question on my mind is what I'd perhaps like us to both have a go at, and I've not really thought this through, but it, it's occurred to me it might be interesting, is if you were to say something to people who are like more on the, I'm not concerned about this, side of the line okay and more resistant to it and if, if i was to say something to people who are more kind of alarmed by it um not to convince them but to bring them into a center away from the trench and into a, a center place like how would we get there because i mean what one thing that occurs to me looking at the debate on this is that irrespective of your position we we can't create another earth and like all the people who don't want to cap carbon can go and live on it or the people who do want to cap carbon can go and live right we all have to kind of share this one and um we could like if you're concerned about this you, you can't just force the 50 percent of the population 
into compliance with carbon taxes, right? Um, unless, you know, barring a civil war or something, right? And equally, um, you may not believe in it, but, you know, that's fine to make jokes with your friends about how, how silly and alarmist people are, but you still have to share the world with them. And, like, they're really concerned about it. So what am I going to do on that side of it to, to address that? And, but, and I, I, I can see things that would bring people more into the centre, right? So um, as examples, like, I, I would find it, like, far more... Um, I tend to find a person far more compelling if very much like yourself they're aware of like the problems in the um with their own position say or could critique their own position so i think that would be an interesting thing okay um and i think for climate activists if someone's telling me they want to like you know really take drastic measures um i think it would be good it would be a good use of time to spend some time getting familiar with things like well how is the earth's temperature actually taken broadly speaking i'm not sort of super familiar with it myself but i know that the, the basics of it and how it changes over time and such and and what effect carbon has is when you put it in a glass box in a lab to the the temperature and that i think like then then rather than shouting each other we're coming in to a center point and and understanding each other's um points of view and concerns more what, what would you say to that to find this common ground mm. You know, it's funny because we could just make those really cliche prescriptions, right? Of like, you know, learn to listen and be curious. Yeah, I do. I probably do sound very cliche. No, no, but but I I actually, I I think that um, the thing is, we all know we should do that, right? We all know, gosh, especially in the U.S., how polarized we are around pretty much everything. I mean, climate is just one thing we're polarized around. Um, But really, I... I, I'm such a big fan of just starting where we're at because just trying to force ourselves into a center when we don't want to be there, um, it's just not sustainable. It doesn't tend to okay. work really. Um, but what I do recommend people is um, be curious about your own reaction. Just be curious about the fact that it's, you know, a very, um, upsetting for you or, or um, activating in some way when you hear people talk about climate. Or be curious about um, you know, how you get so upset by people who deny it. Or you know, just be curious about your own experience of this. And um, you know, just, just noticing that. And I think just having that next, that kind of next level bit of awareness is kind of like, oh, that is really interesting. If I don't think it's such a big deal, um, you know, like, why do I have to be so, uh, aggressive about it? You know, what am I threatened by? Is it the idea that, right, I'll be forced to do something that I don't want to do? Mm. Or is it the fact that I am afraid to be wrong or what is it? You know, just being curious about that. Um, same thing with, with climate folks, you know, really just kind of digging into our own experience a little bit. Like what exactly am I fighting here? You know? Um, and I'm a big fan, you know, a lot of my work revolves around somatics. Uh, so that's just, you know, awareness of you know, subjective experience of the body in all of this. And so just as we learn about that, we can kind of start to see like, okay, I'm kind of, a lot of times I'm fighting, I'm fighting sort of my own imaginary demons you know i'm sort of i i am projecting sometimes but also i'm fighting you know unresolved experiences from childhood or you know there's so many layers to it so just being curious about that and being compassionate towards ourselves in that in that can start to loosen things up a little bit and then then being compassionate towards ourselves actually means that we have a little bit more space to sit with somebody who doesn't share our same perspective we can actually be like, okay, yeah, we're not on the same page. I'm not threatened by that. Mm. You know, I'm able to hear this just right now, you know, just in this conversation. Does that, does that kind of... Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, you know, when you point it out to me, it's like, well, there's nowhere to go but cliches in a sense, is there? But yeah. It also right. feels like, well, that's the only place to go because maybe a cliche, but I don't see it playing out. You know, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> yes, right, right. Um, I actually am, am so much more interested these days in um, the ways in which the conditions, uh, you know, globally are forcing us to have an awareness of how polarized we are and how problematic that is. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, so I think I think also engaging in these um, in any of these dialogues, we can build it up in our minds to be like, okay, like you and I are going to have an argument, and the outcome of that is going to determine whether there's a carbon tax or not, right? And of course, it doesn't, right? Because you right, and I exactly. don't have the power to assert that. So I try and have like a human center of value in engaging these things, like in the, um, the, the if we are to like have a edgy conversation on climate, and um, the most important thing to to come out of that is that it's an engaging conversation and it's good, and maybe we find more depth in ourselves. Not that we like win an argument, because yeah, even if we feel we have in our own minds. And the UN are not going to listen to us, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I completely agree, and I actually think that you know there are there are people who benefit from us all fighting with each oh. other, and it's you know right now we're entering into you know primary elections for um, presidency. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard. And what's really interesting is is there are some candidates who are offering these kind of like hey it doesn't have to be this black or white thing there could be this totally third option here that there's tons of overlap around and actually lots of people are like yeah actually that's a good idea that mm. would that would address concerns on both sides you know um that there are solutions that operate in that way yeah. that actually make everybody not everybody but a lot of people quite satisfied um, but because we're encouraged to stay in our own little camps and our own echo chambers um, and just fight with each other, we never really see those, you know, <laughs> again, which is why I think it's so important to actually get curious about our own positions a bit. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Christy. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I think that's like, been really good. Uh, I don't think so. If people want to reach out to me, I mean, I just, I love it when people reach out. If they have any questions about anything I've said. So all the, all Christie's details will be uh, in the box beneath the, 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 the website and, and so on. And there's various uh, articles there. There's another interview loaded up there, um, which I think goes probably more into detail about the nature of the trauma work than we did today. Yes. So that's a, an interesting compliment. Um, so yeah, that's all there. And, Great. And yeah. thank you. I hope people have found this uh, productive, engaging, all the rest. I certainly have. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.